Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now, you're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. You know, that's the scary part is if we start clicking and, and keep getting better, um, it is going to be a fun ride. We don't want that to be our, our legacy, you know, that first game, and we don't want that to be a story told about the 2020 Cleveland Browns. The line you know, I think played very, very well tonight, um, considering we, we threw the ball 60 times. I heard the rave reviews and uh, could tell it, it, it's true that the hype is real with Joe. Some of the guys we saw Thursday night as the Cleveland Browns emerged victorious 35-30 over the Cincinnati Bengals. It's Pro Football Talk Live. Peter King joining me today. Getting you ready for week two, but looking back at Thursday night's official first Thursday night football game of the year. Good morning, Peter. How are you doing? Good morning, Mike. Everything's going okay. Yourself? All good, and we keep rolling, and it's funny. Once football season's back, it's like it never left. And that Thursday night game, that first short week game, that's to me when it's really on because that's when the rhythm is starting to kick in where it's Thursday, Sunday, Monday, Thursday, Sunday, Monday. And last night's game, a fun one to watch. Better game than I expected it to be. And let's spend some time talking about what the Browns were able to do. And for the most part, they they shut up the critics for a week in large part because they didn't do anything for which they could be criticized against the Ravens. They fairly <laughs> could be criticized for abandoning a very effective run game. Peter, let's start there. This run game for the Browns is for real. Forget about all the money you've got invested. No, Beckham jr. Jarvis Landry and Austin Hooper. When you can run the ball like they did last night with Nick Chubb and Kareem hunt, don't throw it. If you don't have to. Well, that's that's right, Mike. I looked down at the end of the night and I said, man, this t- have they rushed for 250 yards? And it wasn't quite that, but it was 215. The one thing about this running game that I think has a chance to be special is that most teams, they have a 1 and a 1A. You know, this team has a 1 and a 1, you know, 
And and it's like neither of them is the backup. The backup is the 2017 rushing champion. So to me, that will be the strength of this running game. That they can both, at any given time, be the key guy for that running game. And the really, really good thing, imagine when you're backup. Because I think Kareem Hunt is one of the five, six, eight best running backs catching the ball out of the backfield in the NFL. And to me, imagine he's your backup. So so that is going to be the strength of this team. You know, they, they have a good chance to get through the season with both of these guys, you know, being able to, to do it for a long time and to be able to stay healthy because they're not killing one of them. And it's amazing. They both had over 100 yards from scrimmage. Chubb with 124 rushing. Hunt with 86 rushing and another 15 receiving, giving 101 for the game. And they each had two touchdowns. I mean, when we showed, put that graphic up again. When you see the stats, you, you, that would, you would just assume either guy was the lead tailback for his team that week. Not both did it in the same game. And again, it takes away from the number of opportunities that your receivers and tight ends will have. But when it's effective, how can you argue against it? This is the formula because we said this yesterday, far fewer things are going to go wrong for you if you're running the ball effectively than if you're trying to spray the ball all over the place in the passing game, Peter. Well, the amazing thing is, the other thing I looked at last night after the game is that, you know, look, Chubb had 36 snaps last night. Kareem Hunt only had 20 snaps in this game. So there is so much more to do if they want. Now, again, Mike, I know what you're alluding to right here. And you are alluding to, hey, look, this should be a running team. And I get it. You're absolutely right. But is the ego of Odell Beckham Jr. going to allow them to basically be that kind of running game. You know, everybody would say, hey, listen, let's control the clock. We can be great. If we could put 35 points up, you know, and 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 run it this often, let's try to do that if we can every week. It kills the clock, everything. But, you know, there are other factors at play in Cleveland. And again, look, I'm not trying to pick on Beckham. I'm really not. I'm just stating a fact. But if he's not getting a lot of opportunities, he's probably going to be a squeaky wheel. And Kevin Stefanski, I got to give him credit. When you're talking about playing your first game on Sunday and turning around on Thursday night, there isn't a lot of time to learn lessons, to reflect on what went wrong week one and what needs to go right week two. But they made a greater commitment to the running game. They weren't forcing the passing game against the Ravens. And part of this is it's the Ravens. The passing game was just horrible and they'd run the ball and it worked but they kept getting away from the run this time it felt more like they were using the first half to pass the ball set the rhythm and then flip to the run once you've placated Odell Beckham Jr. with his touchdown with a few other catches now we can run the ball now we have a lead and now we can just spend the second half grounding and pounding maybe that's the winning formula for the Browns although the reality is it's whatever each given game requires last night what was required and what was effective was starting with the pass 
building that double, not, yeah, they had a double digit lead fairly early, 14 3, and then just settling into a highly effective running game that the Bengals couldn't stop. Yeah, and I think you have to look at it's like Bill Belichick says. I don't know if he ever said this, but this is this is the way it is with him. You know, every game plan is different. Every game plan's a snowflake. And you shouldn't look, you shouldn't just say, hey, listen, we're gonna run it 55% of the time this year. That's what we're gonna do. How do you know what you're gonna do until you get in the game? You can't you can't make a prediction like that. You may want to run it more than you throw it but a lot of times you're not going to have that choice just like the Bengals last night they get behind big early they're not able to run the ball consistently well so Joe Burrow throws it 61 times the other thing that was so weird about that game I mean the Bengals had 92 offensive plays and and again I I, I look everybody was impressed with Joe Burrow you know, in his first five days as an NFL player, who doesn't think that this guy is the answer for Cincinnati? He is. And, you know, the other thing I like about Joe Burrow, you know, I know we're going to get into them, is that he's got a little stuff to him, Mike. And he's got this, he's got this attitude that I do not care what you think about me. And, 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 and I think that was on display last night. And, you know, LeBron tweeting about him in mid-game and all that. I, I just, I was really impressed with Burrow. And, uh, you know, I was, imp- I, I was impressed with the Browns too because the Browns were multifaceted on, on offense. And entering that game, you have to admit, we all had questions about whether they could be. Yeah, I want to circle back to that Browns offense for a second because here's the reality. When you look at how well they ran the ball last night for their next game against the Washington football team, Ron Rivera and company are going to try to come up with ways to slow down that running game, to take it away. So you take away the running game, you force them to pass the ball while also doing what you can to take away Odell Beckham Jr. because we know how much that frustrates him when he's taken away. But if you can do both, that's when you become a pick-your-poison proposition, and I think the challenge for Kevin Stefanski with a few extra days to get ready for Washington is going to be to have that game plan ready to pivot to pass the ball if they are stacking the box to take away Chubb and Hunt. Not that it matters, because I feel like they already are trying to take away the run, but Hunt and Chubb are so good, you can't take away the run. They're going to get their yards. That offensive line getting it done for the Browns, but, but for the Browns, if they can just continue to grow that passing game, and you you hit the nail on the head with Odo Beckham Jr., and this is why I've said all week they should trade him, and I still believe they should trade him. I'm not going to change that opinion simply because he caught a touchdown pass last night and caught three other passes. He does not fit with that team, especially if the answer is to run the ball and run the ball and run the ball some more. The good news for the Browns is if he has performances like last night, he actually has trade value. The the uh, the Monday after the original uh, game of the season, you look at Odell Beckham Jr. and say, why would anyone want him? The Friday after the second game, you say, yeah, okay, there's something there if they end up deciding to move on from him. And Peter, I think that... that you know, you you raise this point. He's not going to be happy if they run the ball this much. Well, then now's the time to sell for whatever you can get for Odell Beckham Jr. And I don't feel any differently about that simply because he had a 
a good game, not a great game last night. What do you really think the market value is right now for Odell Beckham Jr.? Well, here's the thing. Who would have thought last year the Patriots would give up a second-round pick for Mohamed Sanu and the 49ers would give up a third-round pick for Emmanuel Sanders, both of whom just finished the season with those teams. Sanders left in free agency. Sanu got cut. So I don't know. There was a report from WFAN in the offseason that I think the Vikings and the Giants supposedly talking about a second-rounder for Beckham. I, I think a second-rounder would make sense. A lot of it depends upon what he does between now and whenever that contending team, as it approaches the trade deadline, decides let's make the move. But I think at a minimum, a second rounder, don't you? Well, I'm not that concerned about what what the compensation is. I wonder how many teams want that anchor of a contract. You know, how many teams are going to take on a, a huge payday you know that that he, that he basically uh, will carry with him, knowing knowing that he's not necessarily going to be happy and he's not going to be content. So that's the big question to me. You know, not that okay, a two. You know, look right now to me, if New England could solve its receiver problems. Uh, by waving the magic wand of a of a second round draft choice, I'm I bet that Bill Belichick would do it. The Patriots are going to have major major problems with their receiver core this year, in my opinion, the exact same as they had last year, because they're the same guys minus Mohamed Sanu. So so I, I think I think Belichick would would like the player. Would he like the anchor of uh, on the salary cap that Odell Beckham brings. Well, the, the financial aspect of it going in is not as significant as it as you would think. He's got a $14 million salary this year, $15.5 million compensation package next year, 14.75 each of the final two years of the deal. But the thing is, at some point, he's going to want a new contract when you see what DeAndre Hopkins is getting, when you see what Julio Jones is getting. If he goes somewhere and he's effective, he's going to want to rip up that deal and replace it with another one. So that's a separate issue. But I think the Patriots make the most sense for him. A lot of teams would not be able to absorb Odo Beckham Jr., and get him to comply with the way they do things because there's that constant expectation you're going to get him the ball. And I'm a firm believer in the quarterback throwing to the guy who's open, the hell with trying to get the ball to a certain player. That just drags down your offense, and it creates tension and frustration, and that's been one of the problems in Cleveland. And it's not going away just because they won last night because anytime they lose, that's going to be item number one. Did you get the ball enough to Odell Beckham Jr.? But he's craved this idea of going to New England. Now, once he gets there, if he gets there, he may feel differently about the Patriot way and what it what it does to you to break you down, to get you to comply, to get you to submit, to get you to quit thinking about your own individual accomplishments. But I feel like that's what he needs. I think he needs someone who's going to put it to him straight, who who has the authority to, to get him to forget about how many catches he has and just focus on winning. He seems to be focused on winning. And, you know, when I looked at the Patriots-Dolphins game from last week. There was a stretch early in the third quarter where there were a lot of guys open kind of in the underneath zones. That's the area where if you hit Beckham in stride, he's gone. 
So you you combine Cam Newton and Odo Beckham Jr., that offense could be scary. And the thing we know about Bill Belichick, you never know what the hell he's going to do until he does it. So would it surprise either of us if all of a sudden between now and the Tuesday after week eight, Odo Beckham Jr. becomes a Patriot? It wouldn't surprise me. And I think it's the, the move that makes the most sense to get the most out of Beckham to help the Browns and to help the Patriots. Yeah, I, I think they're the most logical team without any question. I think... Uh, and I think Bill Belichick definitely is going to be able to have the juice to do it, that especially if they are in a good place at that point, if there are a couple games over 500, something like that, and it looks like this division easily could be theirs, then it wouldn't surprise me at all if they did that, as you say. I just wonder whether, uh, whether Bill Belichick is going to think he's worth it or would Bill Belichick say, give me the steadier Allen Robinson and we will pay for him and we'll give him a new contract? Because the one thing about Allen Robinson that differs, you know, with, uh, you know, differs from Odell Beckham Jr. is that Allen Robinson, for the vast majority of his career, you've never heard a word out of him, you know, and, and it, he's more of a Belichick guy, I think. But again, I agree with you. I think that if any team in the NFL makes sense uh, for Beckham, it's New England. And let's hear from Baker Mayfield regarding what happened with Odell Beckham Jr. last night, the relationship between those guys, so critical. Let's listen to the words and study the facial expressions of Baker Mayfield as he talks about Odell Beckham's touchdown from last night. What did you see on the touchdown to Odell, and how nice was it to get an explosive play with him? Uh, one-on-one coverage, uh, you know, we, we ran first play of the game, ran a, uh, a keeper to the left and, and did the comeback. And so kind of just saw how the guy was playing it and he was real aggressive all over him. So we knew that we were going to have a shot at that, come back to it, uh, you know, called it at the right time and he ran a great route. Peter, I saw the Seinfeld tell. Did you see the Seinfeld tell? Anytime you touch your face, that means the no, relationship isn't it? going great. He went like that. You know, the higher you touch, the worse the relationship. Yeah, it's going good. Yeah, it's all right. Ah, we got to get out of here. There it is. There it is. It's the tell. Uh, look, I, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just kidding. You know, the problem is it's never been natural between Odo Beckham Jr. and Baker Mayfield. And it's funny because earlier this week they said, well, it's got to be natural and we're really working on it. No, that's not how it works. It's either natural or or it's not. And it's just not. And that's okay. At some point, it's fine to admit that it's not working. The best teams admit their mistakes instead of doubling down on them. And I know some Browns fans out there are thinking, what the hell? You'd think we'd lost last night, but this is still something that is an impediment <laughs> to the long-term growth of the team, right? Am I, am, I, am I wrong that this team would not be better off based on what we saw last night to remove that constant source of tension and stress that comes from this compulsion to get the ball to Odell Beckham Jr. Well, I don't know that that is there. Well, let's see if it's there the same this year as it was last year. Because the one thing that we don't know, Mike, let's say the Browns go on a three-game winning streak. Let's just say, and I'm not saying that they will, but let's just say they do. Let's see how Odell Beckham, if... If one game, he gets two targets. And let's say this week, this coming week, they beat Washington by 20. He gets two targets and they run for 190 yards. 
that obviously is a great game for the Cleveland Browns. So if Beckham is grousing about that, you know, if he's clearly unhappy, then all right, then let's see. But I'm willing to give him a few weeks to see how he acts this year. And let's just see what happens. But I think they have plenty of time to make this decision. I don't think this is a decision they have to make on September 18th. And I would give them the chance, you know, for this to work this year. Yeah, and I agree with you completely. And the other thing that they gave a chance to work and they need to give a chance to work is Baker Mayfield. Week one, he did not look very good. And week two, all of a sudden, he's got a he's got a spring in his step. He's got a laser focus. There's an attitude. And part of me, when I see a guy show up and play that well, it's like the kid that always brings home C's on his report card and all of a sudden gets straight A's. Hey, good job. Where the hell is this the rest of the time? And that was kind of my thought on Baker Mayfield. Like, where's this guy been? Why did it take a Thursday night game? against Joe Burrow, well, you know, where he was apparently on the sideline, locked in on everything Burrow was doing. Like, are you deriving motivation from this duel with a guy who was the first overall pick in the draft? I, I want to see a guy who shows up every week with that kind of fire. And we didn't see it against the Ravens. And, and I want to see more consistency from Baker Mayfield. But last night he was very good, even though he only threw 23 passes, like, like a third of what Burrow threw, completed 16, 219 yards, two touchdowns and a pick. He was a lot better. And as of yesterday, Peter, Sims and I were talking about when's the hook going to potentially come out because that's the thing. If Mayfield does not play consistently well, Kevin Stefanski has Case Keenum right there ready to go. And they had a special year together in Minnesota when Stefanski was the quarterback's coach and they won the Minneapolis Miracle Game and Keenum was awesome all year long. And that puts a little heat on Baker. And, and look, he responded. To, to a bad first game, he responded. And it's just like with Odo Beckham Jr. Let's see if he can string a few of these together. And if he can, it's a different vibe for the Cleveland Browns. This is the year for uh, Baker Mayfield, Mike. This is, th there's no more, well, let's see how he can fit in with this new offense. Let's see how this, let's be patient with him and everything. I understand it's not ideal circumstances. When, you know, you come off, uh, a, a year basically that is a disastrous year, you know, with, you know, with, with Freddie Kitchens and the tributaries after that, that, you know, you're going to be making a big change at the end of the year. Cause everybody knew that. And so I look at what the Browns are right now. And I say, it's probably unfortunate for Baker Mayfield that he doesn't have two or three years with the same coach same system and all that stuff. I get it, but it is what it is. And this is the year, in my opinion, that the Browns have to know about this guy. And if I were the Browns, I would be putting all my eggs in the Mayfield basket this year because I don't want to have to limp from year to year to year wondering what we're going to do with quarterback. And again, look, I'll just say this. There's probably three really good quarterbacks coming out in this draft next year. Everybody would say right off the top. I mean, everybody would say, well, there's no way that Cleveland would be in the market for a quarterback. Look, if the Browns go 5-11, and 11, they're going to be in the market for a quarterback. You know, let's, let's be realistic. One game against the Cincinnati Bengals does not cure the ills that they have had at quarterback with all these coaches 
and with Baker Mayfield. He has got to do it this year for four months, not for one night. And I still think he's a good NFL quarterback, but it doesn't matter what any of us think anymore. He's got to do it for four months or else the Browns are going to get back on that treadmill of thinking about, hmm, should we be looking at these three or four quarterbacks coming out in the draft next year? And Peter, two years and two games into Baker Mayfield's career, the jury is still out. The jury has rendered its verdict on Joe Burrow after only two games. You alluded to this earlier. He's got it. <laughs> he's he's got it. And and I look, and and he showed to me growth from Sunday to Thursday. He ironed out some goofy mistakes that he made against the Chargers. He was focused last night. He was spraying the ball all over the place, completed passes to eight different receivers, 61 throws, second most all-time single game for the Bengals, most ever in a non-overtime game for the Bengals, 37 completions, tied for second most in a single Bengals game, and the most ever for a rookie, beating Carson Wentz and Chris Winkie, who had been tied with 36. So Burrow has got it. And here's the other reason why he's got it. From 15-0 last year to 0-2 this year, he's pissed off about losing, and he's not going to take it anymore. Here he is from after the game. Losing isn't very fun. Uh, You know, this might be the only time in my sporting career that I've lost two games in a row. doesn't feel very good. You know, Peter, you made the point last year about Kyler Murray as he was heading into the NFL. How is he going to deal with losing? Because he never has. He never has. And you're going to the worst team in the NFL, you're going to lose. And we saw Kyler Murray process it, deal with it, and fight through it, and he's ready to explode this year. Joe Burrow is going to have to deal with it and process it. And look, the thing is, every game they're going to be kicking and screaming. Even if they lose all 16, Burrow is going to insist that they go into every game with the mentality that they will win and that they never give up until the very end. And we saw that start to finish against the Chargers, and we saw it start to finish against the Browns. In 1998, Sports Illustrated sent me to a game at the end of Peyton Manning's rookie year, uh, the Colts at Baltimore. And uh, the Colts got creamed, and they were, I don't know what their record was, 3-11 and 11 maybe, They were awful. But every snap of that game, Peyton Manning battled like it was the last play of his life. And afterwards, I spent a little bit of time with him, but I will, and not, you know, he said, hey, you know, whatever. I, I I don't even remember what he said. But I'll never forget when I talked to Jim Mora. And remember, Jim Mora is a fiery dude. And it doesn't matter that, I, because I said to him, Jim, I know it doesn't seem like it now, but I'll tell you what. That quarterback is going to be good. You guys are making progress. This is a pill you have to swallow, blah, blah, blah. And he goes, the hell with that. He said, I hate losing. And, and he, went, he, he just went off about it. And I understood it. But there comes a time that you look at a quarterback and you look at a team. And I'm not saying he's going to be Peyton Manning. All I'm saying is that you see a player in the first two games of the year, last night on the road, first road game in the NFL, very shaky protection, very shaky. He leads six scoring drives. 
you know, and again, he can't play defense. He doesn't have a bunch of Grant Delpits, you know, on on his defense necessarily. And 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 you know, at LSU, you, you you're going to have the best players. But but my only point is, if you live in Cincinnati or you love the Bengals and you have been waiting for years for a sign that okay, we're going to get out of the wilderness now, okay. This, to me, and again, with all due respect to Andy Dalton, who led them to respectability. He really did. You can't criticize that. But to me, this is like what it was like in the mid-80s in Cincinnati when they drafted Boomer Esiason and they had that wacky offense with Sam Weich and every game was an event. And everybody, Mike, is going to be watching the Bengals this year because it's just like what LeBron James said last night this kid has it and again it's only two games you never know and I don't mean to say he's Peyton Manning I don't all I am saying is that there's something here that is going to lift the Bengals and you shouldn't be that concerned about wins and losses right now don't care about the record you know care about the development of this quarterback and is. rarely does such a bad team shed the SH from the it so quickly. Can I say that? Oh, well, I already did. I think I can separate the two, right? Well, we'll find out. We'll find out. We're about to go to break. Maybe we'll be back. Maybe we won't. But but to have that, that boomerang, that reversal from being so bad to now you've got hope. And, Peter, here's the concern, though, and this is the thing that's going to keep people on the edge of their seats. Joe Burrow took a lot of hits last night he took a lot of hits against the chargers he runs with reckless abandon he has no concern for his body let's hear a little bit about what happened to him last night seven quarterback hits three sacks including a a critical strip sack fumble when he got hit by miles garrett and then blown up by another browns player here's some sound from last night on burrow taking a pounding the guy's tough he took a lot of shots and he bounced right back up you know, he was he was still you know putting uh, putting deep ones on the money and he was you know always kept his eyes downfield and he was never really worried about the rush unless it was it was really on him it makes me feel like a football player I kind of like getting hit sometimes so it's not doesn't disrupt me yeah I mean it makes you feel like a football player until you can't get up and walk I mean that's the problem it's football it's physical that's fine but you're at a level now where you get hit enough by those guys, something is going to break or sprain, fracture, tear, whatever, and you're not going to be able to have a long, healthy career. There's a reason why we've been praising Kyler Murray all week for his ability to slide wherever he is, for his awareness when it comes to avoiding contact. We want quarterbacks to do that. And, hey, great, through two games, Joe Burrow's taken it. He's not going to take it through 16. At some point, he's going to have a hard time getting up. At some point... He's going to be on the injury report unless he's Gumby or something, which I guess is possible. But that's the one big concern I still have with Joe Burrow, Peter. He's yet to realize, number one, it hurts. And number two, it's going to lead to injury. He's kind of got, you know, an Eli body, doesn't he? He, he, looks, like, he looks like he could be a, a stockbroker or something. You know, he, <laughs> he's not one of these... He's not one of these, you know, big hefty guys. You know, he's a he's a slight guy, and so I understand what you're saying, Mike. 
But again, you know, Kyler Murray's a slight guy too. And you saw the other day when he ran for that touchdown at San Francisco, how incredible a weapon he is in the open field. And I don't think you want to take that away from him. I agree with you. You do not want a quarterback like Joe Burrow getting hit as much. You don't want Lamar Jackson getting hit as much. And so, but, but I do think that they've got to find their way offensively. And they have to see what works for him. Uh, but I totally agree with you. He's got to keep himself out of harm's way. Yeah, and uh, right now he's embracing it, and he will embrace it until the moment that he no longer does and realizes if it's going to keep you off the field, you, you want to find a way to keep yourself protected. A.J. Green's been on the field for the first two games of the year. Last night, how about this, Peter? 13 targets and only three catches. And I saw a couple that I thought, man, A.J. Green that catches weird. that ball. I don't know what's going on with A.J. Green, but uh, that that franchise tag money they've invested in him this year, when you consider the other weapons they have, and uh, I, I was impressed with T. Higgins. Uh, they, they've got Tyler Boyd, who had a couple of, of big catches. Um, I, I, just, I just wonder if A.J. Green uh, really fits the long-term vision there or if this is just going to be it for him in Cincinnati. My guess is that this is it. You know, the Bengals might be the only organization in football that that might want to keep shelling out the big money for him because that's what they do. Um, but I agree. I agree with you, Mike, especially after taking T. Higgins, you know, as high as they took him in this draft. I, I, I would be surprised, uh, you know, if they hung on to, to A.J. Green after this year. Now, again... A.J. Green might have an absolutely explosive year and prove us wrong. But in my opinion, I'd be spending the money uh, on the offensive line, uh, and I'd be spending the money on a corner if I were the Bengals. Those are the places where uh, they are really lacking right now. Yeah, I mean, John Ross, not the answer. Tyler Boyd led the way, seven catches with 72 yards. And it's weird to see someone wearing 85 who isn't Chad Johnson, Ocho Cinco, and that was T. Higgins, and he flashed at times last night. So they've got a bright future. And uh, you need guys who are going to catch the football if your quarterback's going to throw it 61 times, and they're working in that direction. But you're right, they need the offensive line. The running game wasn't there last night. The defense needs to improve. Other than that, they're on the right track. And that's the thing. Joe, it's going to take a while. The attitude is great. I just hope they can find a way to win some games before he, he becomes defeated. But I don't think he will. I think he's always going to have this attitude, get through this year, and then next year maybe the Bengals. Think about this, Peter. The Bengals with Joe Burrow, the Ravens with Lamar Jackson in the same division. I don't know what's going to happen with Baker Mayfield. I don't know what the Steelers are going to have after Ben Roethlisberger. I mean, the one big warning if you're the Steelers, you better have a plan post Roethlisberger or you're going to get potentially left in the dust by the Bengals and the Ravens. This is the year, in my opinion, if you are the Pittsburgh Steelers, you know, you got to look at that draft and almost regardless, even if you're picking 26th, you have to take it very seriously this year looking at your quarterback of the future. Because, I mean, look, we've seen Mason Rudolph. He's not it. Um, you know, it's not Josh Dobbs, apparently. They have to make sure that in the 2021 draft, they're going to be in position to get a quarterback. I agree.
All right, let's take a break. When we return, one of the big storylines of week two, Bruce Arians doing something Bill Belichick would never do, call out Tom Brady. Yesterday, Brady responded sort of to the repeated criticism from his head coach. We'll talk about that when PFT Live continues right after this. We've got a great relationship, and uh, um, I, I don't know where some people's feelings must get hurt easily. <laughs> Tom sure don't. You know, he's a coach, so you know, I'm a player. Just trying to win a game. Tom Brady, after 20 years in New England, never being called out publicly by his head coach, Bill Belichick, called out plenty in the film room with no one else other than members of the organization around. A new reality for Tom Brady. But look, here's the thing, Peter. He can't be surprised about it. If he's paid any attention to Bruce Arians over the past 20 years, he knows that's who Bruce Arians is. It's one of the reasons why Bruce Arians didn't get a head coaching job until 2013. He doesn't mince words. He doesn't kiss butts. He says what he believes. And no offense. And you know what? Uh, If you don't want to get called out, don't stink. It's that simple. I really don't think this affects Tom Brady much more than a mosquito on his shoulder. I just... I don't think it's that big a deal to him. And I think it's easy for us to sit here and to say, wow, Arians calling out Brady. But Mike, you just said exactly what Bruce Arians' career is. He's done it with Carson Palmer. He's done it with Andrew Luck. He did it with Ben Roethlisberger. He's done it with all these guys. And so I just, I can't take this very seriously and, and, and there's one other point about what happened in week one of the season, okay? The Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who on Monday celebrated their first anniversary, their one-month anniversary of being in a huddle for the first time with Tom Brady, played their first game at New Orleans, probably the best team in the NFC right now, and certainly a favorite to win the division by a lot and also a favorite to get home field in the playoffs. So with a coach and a, and a quarterback who've been together for 15 years. So my only point about all this is, all right, the, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers had the toughest game on their schedule in the first game of the year with Tom Brady, who just started six weeks ago, throwing to his receivers in practice. And so that's why I just basically say, everybody relax here. Did Brady make a dumb throw that Janoris Jenkins returned for a pick six? Yes, he did do that. I bet you could look at virtually every game of Tom Brady's career and see a dumb throw. And, And again, he should have had more better throws. I, I get it. I totally understand. This is one game, his first game, and his toughest game of the season comes in that first game. So that's why I think everybody needs to relax. Yeah, I agree with you completely, and it does get easier. Now, if they don't have their way with the Panthers this weekend in their home debut, then you start to get concerned because this Panthers game is far from the most difficult on the schedule for the Buccaneers. So they need to start winning games. There needs to be a sense of urgency. And I think they should be fine. The only issue is, 
You've got Chris Godwin in the concussion protocol. Mike Evans doing better this week with a hamstring problem. And he played well in week one. There were 67 yards of pass interference penalties he drew. If he hadn't been interfered with, he catches the ball. Brady's numbers look better. The The impression of his performance is better uh, and and I think he's going to go to Mike Evans more often. He was able to get the ball down the field to him on a couple of those occasions. It's just that he got interfered with or he would have had the catch. So I think that will come. Uh, the, the guy I'm more concerned about is Rob Gronkowski, Peter. I watched all of that game. Now, he was on the field for 77% of the snaps, more than any other Tampa Bay tight end. But he was doing a lot of run blocking. And the two catches he had... The first one, it looked like he was running in mud. I mean, he did not have the burst. He did not have the presence. He did not have that physicality. And it, and, and and look, he's been off the bike for a year. That may be the explanation. And maybe the reason he was on the field for 77% of the plays is because Bruce Arians realized this is the only way to get this guy in football shape. But he's got a long way to go. And if he can get there, they'll be fine. Uh, but he needs to get there. Mike. You know, I saw two days of Bucks practice in August. And what I came away from the, those practices thinking, especially I saw the first practice that they had their offense against their defense. It was a uh, high-energy practice. Guys on both sides are really fired up. And here is what I can tell you about sort of the philosophy and the mindset of Byron Leftwich and Bruce Arians, okay? And Tom Brady, right? They were very, very set on making O.J. Howard their reclamation project, you know? And he was going to get the ball a lot. And you saw that the other day, okay? The other guy, and I kept saying, I said, man, he is throwing a lot to that little guy from Bowling Green. And it, that's Scotty Miller. So... In my opinion, when everybody says, oh my God, how, how are you, you got so many weapons. How are you going to divide up the, you know, the balls and everything? Well, right now you're right. You have, uh, you don't know how healthy Evans is. Godwin is in the concussion protocol. Now you need Scotty Miller to be a big factor in this game on Sunday. You need OJ Howard, you know, to come out and play a big game on Sunday. So to me, I kind of look at that. And again, I, I never thought, I always thought Gronk was going to be like a 25 snap a game guy, was going to be a red zone guy. Uh, and, and who knows what he'll become. But I was surprised when I saw all the snaps he played. I think he's going to settle into a role where he's on the field a little bit less, but he's always on the field uh, for the jump balls in the end zone. Yeah, I agree with you, but they did need him to help for uh, with the blocking because the offensive line is a work in progress. One of the guys who got called out this week by Bruce Arians tackled Donovan Smith for having a bad game against the New Orleans Rightfully Saints. Rightfully so. Let's flip so. it around <laughs> to the Panthers. The Panthers, and that's the thing about week one. You never know how good that team is that beat you. You never know how bad that team is that you beat. The Panthers seem to to give the Raiders a better game than anyone would have expected, and they scored a lot of points. Uh, is this just bad Raiders defense, or is Matt Rule, the new head coach, already on to something? I, I don't think the Raiders are going to have a very good defense, but and it's definitely a work in progress because, Mike, 
I mean, you know what Mike Mayock did. Mike Mayock basically drafted some of the best players in college football, you know, over the last, whatever, 16 months. And now you got to throw them all together and see what you got. But it's going to take a while, especially without one full off season, you know, for them to be whatever they are going to be. But I'll say this about the Panthers. One of the things, and I spent some time with them virtually a few weeks ago. And one of the things that really interested me is that, you know, you think that this is like uh, Matt Rule's first year at Temple or Matt Rule's first year at Baylor. It's going to be a total, uh, you know, a two-win season and we're building for the future because that's what he did twice at college programs that were way down, okay? But I don't think they viewed it exactly this way this year for a couple of reasons. Number one, Teddy Bridgewater is going to make you competitive. This is not a, uh, well, let's, you know, let's, let's see how good we can be next year. Don't you think Teddy Bridgewater knows that if he gets beat up and he's just okay and they win three games, don't you think Teddy Bridgewater knows they're going to draft Trevor Lawrence or one of these guys, you know, this year in the draft? Of course he does. So he knows that he's got to come out scratching and clawing. It's just like the Dolphins last year where everybody said, well, tanking, you know, they're going to tank for Tua. And, and what happens is they come out and after Halloween, they got a better record than the Patriots. And my whole thing is you never really know what kind of team you're going to have at the start of a season and especially this unknown season. And, and I've always thought that these Panthers were going to be a little bit better than people thought just because Teddy Bridgewater is playing for his, basically, you know, his NFL life this year. And they've got Christian McCaffrey. It's easy to forget that. We've pegged the Panthers as one of the worst teams in the NFL. They happen to have the best running back right now in the NFL, and that counts for something. And McCaffrey had a solid day, and and they kept it close. And look, just like the Bengals, hey, they don't want to only lose by four or five points. They want to win football games. And, uh, you know, the, I just think every win that they manage this year is gravy for Matt Rule because it is a reclamation project. He is in year one. And you get the sense that owner David Tepper understands sometimes you have to take that step back in order to build it for the future. And uh, but 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 hey. You know, we were stunned last week when the Jaguars beat the Colts. If somehow the Panthers could pull this off on Sunday and take down the Buccaneers and send Tom Brady and company to 0-2, that's when you have to completely reshuffle the deck on your expectations for the 2020 season, Peter. Mike, you you mentioned David Tepper. And let's just remember one thing, okay? Who's the richest owner in the NFL right now? David Tepper. David Tepper. Okay. And who went, who took a private plane to head the New York Giants off at the pass to meet, uh, to meet Matt Rule at his home in Waco at the, the night he came back from his family vacation. And he sits there in his study for four hours convincing him, don't get on that plane to New York tomorrow. I want you to be the head coach of this team. So what happens? The next morning at 6.30, 
he's on David Tepper's plane going to Carolina to be the coach of that team. So, and I only mention that because there are some owners in this league who you think, well, they're tied to their coach. Christopher Johnson, well, you know, he's tied to Adam Gase. Well, okay, after one week, he's got to give him a vote of confidence because he's got a pile of crap coming down on him and his franchise <laughs> and this coach who he says is a great offensive coach. So I get it. I get it. But so some owners have to say they're behind their coach. Okay. This owner is rock solid behind his coach and is going to give him every resource possible to win. So that is an advantage that a lot of head coaches in this league do not have. $9 million a year goes a long way toward showing the commitment as well. And I, yeah, it's amazing to me that David Tepper, still fairly new to the NFL fraternity, blows out the coaching salary curve. There have got to be some of the old guard <laughs> owners who are pissed about yeah. that because you're going to have other coaches, established coaches, younger coaches, coaches you try to hire who say, I want what Matt Rule got. And uh, the other owners are just going to have to suck it up and do it. All right, we're going to take a break. And when we return, we'll continue our week two preview. Could another NFC favorite fall to 0-2? Some fill-in-the-blank next here on PFT Live. Around any corner, within every battle, and with the dawn of each new day, the threat of the unexpected, the unpredictable, and the unrelenting lies in wait. But Marines will always be there. They are the constant in the chaos. No matter the battlefield, Marines adapt to win, defeating every shifting threat, protecting our nation's future. The few, the proud, the Marines. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. We had the bubble screen to the receivers out in the flat there. And yeah. we, the bubble screen, we made a signal for like a bubble butt. And at that time, the best bubble butt going around was J-Lo. So I would give the old butt sign and say, J-Lo, J-Lo. And now the receivers and everybody knew we were going to throw this wide receiver bubble screen on the edge. So that's just a little taste of the John Gruden offense. So now I have to, now I got to ask you to kind of like, if politely, could you stand and demonstrate this possibly? I don't know if your, if your setup allows you to do this. Could you stay? Yeah, could you actually Probably not. Probably not. But like J-Lo would have been, it would have been like, let me get back here just a little more. You know, we would have showed the butt. I'd be like, J-Lo, 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 J-Lo. <laughs> oh, my God. A-Rod, come get your boy. <laughs> Interesting choice to have the two hosts of the show relegated to the sidebar and the, the actual Max Headroom look 
for Chris Sims, who is a dead ringer for the 1980s icon. He was on with Michael Hawley and Michael Smith yesterday, available every day, 3 o'clock Eastern on Peacock, right before PFT PM. That's coming up later today. All right, coming up now, more of the Week 2 preview, fill-in-the-blank style. Let's begin here, Peter. The 49ers will be in trouble with the New York Jets if what? If they don't get better play out of Jimmy Garoppolo. Um, he's going to have to carry a lot of this team with how with with the injuries that they're facing right now, Mike. They go on the road now. They play twice in the Meadowlands in eight days. They should win both of these games. But now they enter into a very rough patch of their schedule. And again, it has nothing to do with the actual foes on the schedule. It is... You know what what coaches always say, hey, listen, we're not concerned about anybody else. We're only concerned about how we play. Well, that's what Kyle Shanahan has to be concerned with right now, how we play, because it just wasn't good enough with all the injuries they're dealing with right now. This is when a franchise quarterback steps up and he makes enough things happen so that you win two winnable games on the road. For me, the 49ers are in trouble against the Jets if they end up having to sign you and me to play cornerback because it's getting to that point <coughs> with all the injuries they have in the secondary. Richard Sherman, IR, Killer Witherspoon, concussion protocol, Jason Verrett, hamstring injury. They brought up some guys from the practice squad. Not that the Jets have a murderer's row of receivers, but if you don't have defensive backs, all of a Plus sudden— Plus, the Jets are beat up better. at receiver, too. Yeah. Yep. On Monday Night Football, we learned in the early game that the Steelers what, and in the late game that the Broncos what? We learned that the Steelers have more weapons than the average NFL offense can account for, and that is obviously the Steeler defense. Because how do you account for T.J. Watt, Cam Hayward, and Bud Dupree, and a rising secondary also? In Pittsburgh. So to me, that is what I learned about them. And what you learned about the Denver Broncos, it, you know, my feeling is just watching, I only watched the first half of that game. But in watching the first half of that game, the one thing I thought of is please give the ball to Philip Lindsay. Philip Lindsay is the best back on that team. And I think he should be getting it 20 times a game every game. Yeah, and he never played in the second half on Monday night because he has turf toe, so we'll see when he's back. About the Broncos, I learned Vic Fangio is not Bill Belichick. He was trying to do that Super Bowl Forty Nine Jedi mind trick on Mike Vrabel by not calling his timeouts late. It blew up on the Broncos. And the thing about the Steelers, yes, they still have a great defense, and that defense made the difference against the Giants. That 26-16 margin was a closer game than 10 points that game could have gone either way until the hit by Dupree the ball pops up in the air Cam Hayward picks it off that was the moment it turned for the Steelers and the Steelers host the Broncos uh in Pittsburgh on Sunday all right next one Patrick Mahomes will what against the Chargers defense explode and it's not necessarily that the the uh Chargers defense is bad but I think at this time of the season when the Chiefs are almost all the way around their offensive uh, team, you know, their key guys, they're, they're a healthy team right now. 
to me, when I look at the Kansas City Chiefs, I think I, I would hate to have to play them in September in an average year. I want their guys a little bit beat up by the time I play them, but tough, tough scheduling for the Chargers. Yeah, my big takeaway last week for the Chiefs and the Texans was the Chiefs were playing a regular season game. The Texans were playing a preseason game, and it's going to feel like that maybe even more this week because the Chiefs, you give Andy Reid extra time to get ready, you got a problem. Patrick Mahomes, I think, is going to have a huge game. All right, last one, Josh Allen, Bill's quarterback. His total game reminds you of what? Man, you know, Mike, his total game reminds me of of a guy who has got incredible potential and he flashes it on about 80% of his snaps. And that would worry me because he still is uh he still is prone to three or four snaps a game that you say what in the world is he doing? Yeah, it's like stumbling through a funhouse. I mean, you never know where that trap door is going to be and it happened a few times last week and they got away with it. But he's got to iron out those kinks or it's going to hurt them at a inopportune time like it did in the playoffs against the Texans. All right, a full hour of PFT Live still to come. We'll be back with more right after this. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.